Gemara tells us that the Malachi Ashoris look down on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, and they have a question that they ask Hashem. And that question is, Why is it that the Klai do not sing Hallel? Why don't they sing Hallel on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Malachi Ashoris look down, they see the entire service, the entire Nusuch of Tefillah, and it's something that they feel is lacking, and that is Hallel. Why isn't Hallel part of the Rosh Hashanah, part of the Yom Kippur Dominic? And the Gemara explains to us that Hashem answers them, Rimon <coughs> Shalom, Hashem answers by saying, Efshir, is it possible? Melech Yoshev Din, a king, is going to sit on the throne of judgment. Sifrei Chaim, Sifrei Mavis, Pesukim in front of the books of life and the books of death are open in front of him. The Yisrael Omrim Shira and the Klaus are going to sing praise, jubilation. It's inappropriate. They're being judged to life, to death. <coughs> Halal doesn't belong there. Jubilation, joy doesn't fit there. Halal should not be part of the davening. And this Gemara is brought lahalacha. And in fact, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, we do not say Halal on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur for this reason. Because as the Gemara says, Hashem answers the books of life, the books of death are open. And therefore it's inappropriate to sing Halal. And this is the Gemara, and this is brought la'alacha. And the only question I'd like to ask on this Gemara is something I consider very obvious, and that is as follows. You and I are clothed in this heavy, heavy cloak of physicality. I wear this body, and it blinds me. I don't see an inch in front of my eyes. I don't see the results of my actions. I don't understand the consequences. I don't see the future, and I certainly don't see that very shortly... My body's going to be put in the ground and I will stand judgment in front of Hashem. But that's because I wear this heavy cloak, because I'm a human, because I'm in this current existence called being alive. However, this Gemara is not discussing you and I asking a question. And this is discussing the Malachi Asharis, the highest level of Malachim. A Malach is pure spirituality, brilliant, incisive, understanding, completely, completely cognitive, completely, completely brilliant, and they're asking a question that sounds like a klotzkasha. Isn't it obvious that you don't sing Shira? As Hashem said, the books of life, the books of death are open. Isn't it obvious you don't sing praise, you don't sing jubilation? It's not a time for simcha, not a time for joy. Yet they asked this question. And they asked this question and Hashem had to answer and the question is, what kind of question for a malach is that to ask? And why did they feel that it's appropriate for a for the Jewish nation to sing Hallel? What was the Havmina? And to answer this question, we need to focus a little bit about the issues of the day and what Rosh Hashanah really is about. Gemara tells us, Kol bo'i olam ovrim lefanov. On Rosh Hashanah, every single activity of the coming year is weighed, measured, and decided. Which countries will suffer famine, which countries will go to war, which countries will enjoy great peace and prosperity, which new diseases will surface, which new cures will come to market, and the entire world being judged, every single activity of the coming year being weighed, measured, and decided. If you'd like to understand it in very simple terms, you have to recognize that the front page, the headlines of the New York Times, are written on Rosh Hashanah. 
But it's not just the headlines of that day's newspaper, the headlines of every single day of the coming year's <coughs> events are being written on Rosh Hashanah. But it's not just the headlines. It's the international section, the national section, the local section, and it's not just the open and known things. Every single issue is being weighed, measured, and determined. The New York Times a number of years ago bragged about having 350 full-time news correspondents, 40 photographers, 16 news boroughs, because on this globe occupied by some 6.7 billion-odd people, there are a lot of issues going on, a lot of things happening, a lot of activities that are occurring. And if you recognize that Hashem sits there as the shofet, and sits there as a judge, weighs, measured, and determines every single activity of the coming year, you begin to get an eye glimpse. And imagine that Hashem is that Grand Master sitting at the multi-tiered chessboard, moving this pawn into position, moving this rook where it should be, arranging all of humanity's future. And if you think about the din, it's stupendous, it's awesome, it's astounding. The depth of the issues, the extent as the Gemara tells us, kol ba'i olam, every occupant of the planet passes in front of Hashem. And every single human being alive has his fate decreed. And if you recognize that Hashem sits there as the melech and determines every single human being's future and every event of the coming year, you begin to realize there are many, many, many things that are weighed, measured, and decided. And as an illustration of the extent of the din, let's focus for a minute on the words of Nisana Tokif. Nisana Tokif was written early on, probably in the Tanaic era, and it well defines the essence of the day. Rosh Hashanah Yikasevun, Yom Sam Kippur Yikasevun, on Rosh Hashanah, it's written, on Yom Kippur it's signed, Kama Yavrun Vekama on how many will pass, and how many will be born, Miyichia Miyomos, who will live and who will die. But it's not just in the global sense, not just in the local sense, the exact details. Mi bekitzo, mi lo bekitzo, who in his time, who not in his time, the exact method, who by water, mi ba'esh, mi ba'charev, the exact details of every human being's life weighed, measured, and determined. But the Bali Musa make an incredible diuk in the Nusana Tokif. Listen to the flow of the events. You see, on Rosh Hashanah it's written, and on Yom Kippur it's signed, Kama Yavrum, Kama Yibareun, how many will be born and how many will pass, Miyichiam Umiyamus, who will die and who will live. But you see, first, it's on the global sense. Kama Yavrun, how many will pass? In the United States of America, every year, approximately 2.6 million people die. Approximately 600,000 of heart attack, approximately 500,000 of cancer. The number in the global sense is set. How many births? And then, who will fit in which slot? First, the number is set, and then this one to this group, this one to this group, first from the global down to the local, every single issue is weighed, measured, and determined. Our relationship to Hashem is very different than any other people's. We are avodim, we are servants, but we're also bunim, we're children. And with that sense, we should have a very profound sense on this day. 
And that is, finally, Hashem is acting as the Melech. Mishabur explains that during Aser Yishimei from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, we change the way we, we refer to Hashem. During the course of the year, we refer to Hashem as HaKel HaKadosh, the God, the Holy God. Kel refers to the God who runs the world, but hidden behind the scenes. You don't see Him, <coughs> hidden behind the scene, orchestrating from behind, without being noticed. That's the way Hashem acts during the course of the year. But if you refer to Hashem as HaKel HaKadosh during Aser HaShem from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, you're not Yotzei Shemona Esrei. Why? Because we refer to Hashem in the way that Hashem manifests Himself, the way Hashem interacts with the world. And during the course of the year, Hashem acts as the Kel, the God who runs the world behind the scenes. But from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, Hashem acts very differently. Hashem acts as the Melech, as the King. And the Mishabur explains that Hashem is Mara Memshalto. Hashem demonstrates His rulership, His dominion, that He alone rules over everything. You can sense it, you could feel it, Hashem acting as a king. And Hashem so much acts in that manner, that if you refer to Hashem during these days as a Kelakadosh, you missed the mark. We refer to Hashem as Hashem manifests Himself, but Hashem is acting now as the king. If you refer to Hashem as a Kelakadosh, you missed the mark. It's almost like you're not describing Hashem, because Hashem now is acting very differently. But it's not just that Hashem is acting differently, you can feel it, you can sense it. The Pelayoites explains that on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, during the Sarish Mechuva, you can sense Hashem's presence to a much greater extent. He says, imagine you have your eyes closed, and a man brings a candle. Now you can't see the candle because your eyelids are closed, but you sense the light, you're aware that the light is present. That is Hashem's presence from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. Much more accessible and much more available. Hashem acts as the king, and you and I can feel it. And as bonim to Hashem, there should be a tremendous sense of joy within us. Why? Because during the course of the year, there should be a certain sense of anger, of utter frustration, that how dare the world deny our Creator? How dare another atheist say those lines about another lucky roll of the cosmic dice, things just happen? How dare they insult again the holy nation of Israel, the land of Israel. And during the course of the year, a Jew should sense a certain angst, a certain anger, a certain frustration. <clears throat> but from a Hashanah to Yom Kippur, it should be very different. Because I experience Hashem as the Melech. Finally, Hashem is sitting on that throne as the judge, as the Shofate, as the one ruling, the one who's meeting out justice. And because Hashem acts as the Melech, we as Bonim, as children, we should be fans of Hashem, and we should feel an extreme amount of joy. Finally, Hashem is acting as the king. There's order to this house. It's not just chaos. It's not things just happening. Hashem is orderly. Hashem is orchestrating. Hashem is directing every activity of the planet. And Hashem is showing His Malchus. We can sense it. We could feel it. And a Jew should feel a tremendous sense of simcha. Finally, Hashem is acting as the king. And there are things that you can experience, and things that you can feel on Rosh Hashanah, on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur, that you cannot experience, you cannot feel during the course of the year. During the course of the year, it's very hard to daven. It's very hard to experience Hashem. But it's very different 
from the time Rosh Hashanah begins until Yom Kippur, those 10 days, it's very, very different. Shem is much more there and much more accessible. And a Jew should experience tremendous joy, tremendous happiness. What I could feel, what I could recognize on Rosh Hashanah is different than what I could recognize during the rest of the year. I finally see Hashem as the Melech. I finally experience Hashem as the King. And that should fill a person with tremendous simcha, with tremendous joy. Rav David Kronglas, the Meshkiach of Ner Yisrael, used to say on Yom Kippur, if it weren't for the Eimas Adin, if it weren't for the fear of judgment, I'd be dancing a rikud. I'd be in the aisles dancing a jig because the tremendous amount that a Jew can feel, can experience, should fill him with such joy, with such happiness. And I believe that's exactly what the Malachi Asharis were asking. What you can feel on Rosh Hashanah is very different. And when you feel that you should want to sing out Shira, you should want to sing out Hallel, Shira Svetish Bachosh, you should want to sing with tremendous joy, and that experience should be so palpable that Hallel should be part of the davening. And I believe that's exactly why the Malachi Asharis asked, why isn't Hallel part of the Nusuch? And while that's true, Hashem answered. And that answer is that joy is appropriate, joy is proper, but it has to be tempered. Because Sifrei Chaim Sifrei Movis are Pesuchim Lefanecha. Meaning it's very wonderful to recognize that the entire globe is being judged. It's wonderful to think about the fact that mankind, the human race, is being ordered and being established and exactly judged and exactly set up. And that's heady. And it's very joyful. And it's very inspiring. But I too am a part of the human race. And my community, my family, my fate as well is being weighed, measured and determined. And that understanding should temper the joy. Should there be tremendous simcha? Yes, but it has to be held in check. Because while I can experience Hashem as the Melech, and I can have tremendous joy in my understanding and my recognition of the day, at the same time that has to be held in check, because at the end of the day it is a very serious, awe-inspiring day, and tremendous gravity of the issues that are being weighed, measured and decided. But I believe both hergation, both feelings should be there. A Jew should walk into shul with tremendous simcha, held in check, just kept where it is, because of the emas adim, because of the fear of judgment, but both feelings should be there. Tremendous joy, and in a sense of awe, a sense of the seriousness of the day, because in fact, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, mankind's fate is decided, and I too am a member of the human race. And I believe what this Gemara shares with us is a profound understanding the extreme emotions that a Jew should experience, and the extreme beauty and wonder of the day, at the same time a sense of gravity, a sense of seriousness, but both irrigation, both senses should be there. It should be a very, very powerful experience. And with that as a backdrop, I'd like to ask the obvious question. We are told over and over and over about the power of tefillah. From the Nevi'im, and through to the Gaonim, through to the Tanayim, the Amarayim, through the Nevi'im, through the Rishonim, straight throughout any part of Jewish literature, we're told over and over, Davin, 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 Hashem waits for Atila, no Tila goes unanswered, and we are Maminim, we get it, I understand it. So here's the question, I understand the power of Tila, 
And I recognize the fact that my entire future, the future of my family, the future of my community, is being decided. Wouldn't you imagine that our tefillahs on Rosh Hashanah would be so powerful, hour after hour, imploring, begging, beseeching, tears running down my face. Hashem, please. I recognize the power of tefillah. I recognize Hashem is there. And Hashem is determining every single decision of my life. You would imagine that my tefillahs would be unabatable, just unstoppable, just hour after hour. And while it's true that Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur Davening, Sarashim is very different than the rest of the year, I'm not quite sure that hour after hour, begging, imploring, beseeching, tears running down our cheeks, exactly describes tefillah on Rosh Hashanah. And the question is why? If I get it, if I know that Hashem is sitting on the throne of judgment, and I know I can influence a judge to such an extent, wouldn't you imagine that I'd be begging hour after, just completely beholden, completely begging my Creator? And the question is, why is tefillah difficult? Why is it hard to daven? And I'd like to share with you, I believe there are two reasons why in our day and age, tefillah is particularly hard. <clears throat> One is particular to our time period. The second is far more general. The first reason why I believe it is difficult for us to daven today is because in the course of history, no generation ever had it this good. We have wealth, opportunity, freedom. We have everything imaginable. And while that is obviously a bracha, a tremendous bracha, it also comes at a very real cost. You see, by and large, we don't need. And if you'd like to understand what need means, I have a friend of mine whose father was a rov in New York City, right around the Depression era, and he describes that every Rosh Chodesh benching, when they would get to the part about Parnassah, he would hear women from the other side of the Mechitza openly wail. Because in that time, you didn't know how you were going to earn a living. And you also knew that if you didn't pay your rent, all of your furniture, all of your belongings would be put on the sidewalk, and that's where you and your family would sleep that night, because there was no one to bail you out. And when you don't know how you're going to pay your rent, when you don't know how you're going to put food on the table, you turn to your Creator and you say the words, Hashem, I can't do it. And in real desperation... You reach out to your Creator and you say, you run the world, I can't do it, please help. And that is one of the most powerful, motivating factors in dominating when you recognize, I cannot control my destiny, I cannot determine the outcome, Hashem, I'm dependent on you. Baruch Hashem, we don't lack. We have tremendous Ashiras. And even our troubles financially are worrying about how we're going to keep up our lifestyle but we don't sleep on streets. I don't know a person my age or younger who ever <coughs> went to bed hungry because there wasn't enough food. We don't live in that world. We have a land of opportunity, of tremendous wealth, and while that's a bracha, it comes at a real cost. And that cost is we're not needy. We don't feel that we're dependent. We don't feel that sense of desperation, Hashem, I depend on you. And I believe that's the first reason why it's difficult for us to daven on Rosh Hashanah. We don't sense our absolute dependency, our absolute need. But this first problem, I believe, is solvable. And if you'd like to know how to solve it, I'll share with you an interesting observation. 
pre-World War II, Rosh Yeshiva, the Granat, Rav Natali Trump, was once approached by a Balabas Slichos night. The first night of Slichos, this Balabas comes over to the Granat and says, Rosh Yeshiva, we're about to say the words in Slichos, Kedolim ucharashim dafaknud lasecha. Hashem, we're banging on your door like poor impoverished people. How could I say those words? I'm a rich industrialist. I have 700 men in my employ. How could I lie? How could I say to Hashem that I'm poor when I'm so wealthy? The Granat looked at this man and said, you're making one mistake. You're assuming that because last Rosh Hashanah you received a decree to keep your wealth, you're assuming that this Rosh Hashanah you're going to get the same decree. But if you understood that that's an open question, and there are no chazakas, there are no guarantees, just because last year you received the decree to keep your wealth, doesn't mean that that's the same decree you'll receive this year. If you understood that it's an open question, and there are no chazakas, there are no guarantees, you recognize that you are a dal, you are a rash, you're poor, you're impoverished, because it's an open question, and there are no guarantees. And I believe this principle that the Granat shares with us is fundamental and pervasive. Every single issue of my coming year is an open question. And there are no guarantees. I'm young. I'm healthy. I have a good job. Shalom bias. My kids are doing great. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. But if I understood that every one of those questions is an open question... And every one of them is being decided. And there are no guarantees because last year I received the good decree does not mean anything about this year. And because last year the decree was good, prosperity, health, well-being, doesn't say a thing about this year and lets me know that I really am a doll. I am a poor, impoverished man and have to turn to Hashem with a great sense of desperation, with a great sense of need but it requires a little bit of thinking. You think back. Think back about the last year. Think back about people who are young and healthy who got sick. Think about people who had fantastic businesses and <coughs> Corona changed the world. Think about people who had great Shalom bias. I knew a man who was married 16 years. He said to me he didn't know what a Shalom bias problem was. He didn't, never fought with his wife. He lost his job. He changed. She changed Six months later, he was divorced. Things happen. Things change. And if you realize that every one of these questions is an open question, and there are no guarantees, you quickly realize a sense of desperation, a sense that I am dependent on my Creator. And if you'd like to take Rosh Hashanah seriously, I have a little Musr exercise for you. Open the newspaper to the obituary section. Now, in the old days, I used to have to tell people where the obituary section is. Now I have to tell people what a newspaper is. Wherever you get your news, find the obituary section, and I have a little Musr exercise for you. I want you to look at all the pictures in that obituary section where the people who died that week or that day are listed. Okay, in any case, look at the obituary section, and here's my little Musr exercise. Find me the common denominator that all those people share. Now, you'll find something interesting. Old people tend to die. But there are plenty of young people there as well. People who are sick tend to die. But there are plenty of people who are healthy and well in that list as well. People who are very, very 
successful die. People who are not so successful die. People who are tall, people who are short, people who are fat, people who are skinny, people of all ilks, all stripes, you'll find the vast, vast array of people. There's only one common denominator of all of those people. And that is they used to be alive, and now they're dead. And that is the one common denominator. And once you dwell on that fact, <coughs> excuse me, you come to a very important recognition. I, too, am a human. And my time as well will come. I hope, in Mitzvah Hashem, it's many, many years from now, but it will happen. Not maybe, not could be, absolutely, positively, there will be a day when I will no longer be here. Do you know anyone who shook hands with the Groh? How about George Washington? Abraham Lincoln? Every human being passes. I, too, am a human being. 100 years, 120 years, whatever number you're going to give me, there's going to come a time, and that issue is being weighed, measured, and decided on Rosh Hashanah. It's an open question. And if I understood that, if I recognized that, there'd be a tremendous sense of awe, tremendous sense of trepidation, a tremendous sense of I'm dependent on my Creator. And if the first reason why it's difficult for us to daven is because we don't recognize how much we need. We feel we have it. We're good. All you have to do is realize that every single issue of my life is an open question. Every single one is being weighed, measured, and decided. And there are no guarantees. And that means across the gamut of everything in my life, my health, my kids, my family, are you married? Shalom bias. You're not married? You want to get married. <clears throat> kids, you don't have kids. Whatever your issues are, every single one of those issues is being weighed, <clears throat> measured, and decided, and there are no guarantees. And so if the first problem is that it's difficult for us to dominate because we have it so good, I believe that one we can deal with, because again, the Granat's answer is every issue is an open question, and there are no chazaka, there are no guarantees. But I believe there's a second reason why it's difficult for us to daven on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur. And to explain to you why, it's because the judgment that we experience is vastly different than any other judgment that we're accustomed to. Let me explain to you what I mean. It was a number of years ago, and O.J. Simpson was on trial for murder. Now, if you remember the details, it was obvious to anybody watching the trial in cold blood, he murdered his wife. There was no question, but he was famous, quite wealthy, and the U.S. judicial system was on trial. Could money and fame buy freedom? And he hired himself the Dream Team, and for months, the media carried the circus to everyone's home, everyone's living room, everyone knew every detail of the case. Okay, as it turns out, the reading of the verdict it was right before Yom Kippur. And I said to myself, I have to witness a scene. i got to be there. I want to be there when they read the verdict. And I parked myself in front of the TV, and I witnessed the scene. And this is what it's like. <clears throat> O.J. is sitting there gripping that wood <clears throat> bench over there. He's nervous as, listen, his entire future. <clears throat> He's going to live as a caged animal or walk out free is being read to him. <clears throat> the German jury foreman stands up opens the envelope, <clears throat> reads out, the jury finds the defendant not guilty. Whoa! 
His face lit up. Tremendous joy. He was decreed innocent. That is judgment in our world. A time of fact-finding, a time of deliberation, and then the verdict is read. But when the verdict is read, the judge hears it, the jury hears it, and everyone in attendance hears the verdict. On Monday night, we are going to stand judgment. There will be time of fact-finding, time of deliberation, and there will be a verdict. But the problem is, we don't hear the reading of the verdict. The judge determines our future. The judge reads the verdict, but we don't hear it. We walk out of shul, we say the words, Hashanah Tova, Tikasev, Tikasev, Le'alt Delchaim Tov Misholem, and we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be boteach, we're supposed to be trusting in Hashem's mercy, and there is an Indian of Yom Tev, of Simcha, somewhat limited, but certainly joy, we wear begodim, proper clothing. But here's the problem. We don't hear the reading of the verdict. The verdict is read. Our future is determined, but we don't hear it. And the reason why it's very difficult for us to daven is because it's very difficult for us to feel that ema, feel that fear, because we don't hear the reading of the verdict. But I'd like to share with you an interesting observation. I have a guarantee. If you daven in a large enough shul, I guarantee there'll be many beautiful verdicts that are written this Rosh Hashanah. There might be a man who couldn't earn a living for a decade. This year is a different year, a bonanza year. A, an older single couldn't find a shidduch. This year gets married. A couple who couldn't have children for five years, six years, whatever it may be. This year they have a child. There'll be many beautiful decrees written on this Rosh Hashanah. But I also guarantee that if you dominate a large enough kehillah, there'll be some decrees that are not so pretty. Some people who will lose their jobs, some people who will lose their health, and some people who will lose their life. There'll be at least a few exes. The story is told that the Stipe Lagone, Rav Chaim Kanevsky's father, the stipler would be in his apartment in the afternoon, and his apartment was filled. He was already in his 80s. He was one of the Gedoli Yisrael. And people would come to him with all types of questions, all types of bakashas. And he would sit there in the afternoon, oftentimes just looking down. People would come by. He would answer the question, give a bracha, give an answer, an etza. And people would come by, people would come by, people would come by. And one afternoon, his apartment is filled, packed wall to wall. The stipler is looking down, <clears throat> a person comes by, the door opens up, and a man comes in, and the stipler looks up. And he points at the man who just walked in. And in Yiddish, he screams out, Russia! Russia, wicked one! Get out! Get out of here! Leave now, Russia! The man who walked in turned red, turned white, ran out the door, left the apartment. A few hours later, <clears throat> another man comes to the stipler and says, Shulda I was there when the stipler was clearly upset with that man. And I'd like to point out to the stipler, the man's not such a Russia. And the man got into a car. There were another another few occupants in that car. That car got into a car crash. Every other person in that car died. That man alone lived. He's not such a Russia. He's not such a wicked person. The stipler looked at the man and said, Don't you understand? When he walked in, the Malachamavis walked in with him. 
The angel of death was on his shoulders. The only way I could save him. You embarrass a person in public as if you killed him. It was the only way I could save him. Once upon a time, there were Jews like the stipler who could see the Malach walking with a person, but we don't see. We go home, we dip the apple in the honey, but I guarantee there'll be many, many sweet decrees and many, many bitter decrees as well. And if you'd like to understand why it's hard for us to daven, it's because we don't hear the reading of the verdict. And it's hard to recognize that we're really being judged. My entire future, my entire family's future, my entire community's Every single issue of the coming year is being weighed, measured, and decided, but I don't hear the reading of the verdict. And if the first reason why it's difficult for us to daven is because we don't recognize how needy we are, and the second problem is we don't hear the reading of the verdict. But this problem as well is solvable. <clears throat> the Kochve Or Hunabali Musa gives us an Eitzah. He says, people usually go about Rosh Hashanah backwards. They walk into Rosh Hashanah davening and they say, oh my goodness, so many things I have to think about the coming year. I have to ask for this, for health, and parnasa, and my children. And I should do so many things I have to concentrate. And they try to envision and imagine all of the issues being weighed, measured, and decided. And says the Kochwe, oh, you got it backwards. Don't do that. Don't look forward. If you'd like to really recognize the din, look backwards. Review the past year. Think about all of those strange things that happened during the year when you said the words, that's Bashert, that's Hashem, it's Ashkacha. The time when you walk up the stairs, you tripped and you broke your leg. The time you met this guy and he offered something and suddenly he had a great new business deal. Think of all of those strange events that happened during this past year and say to yourself, I get it. Every one of those was decreed on the previous Rosh Hashanah. Says the Kochle, or when you do that, then you'll hear the reading of the verdict. When you think back about your year, and you recognize that every one of those issues was decided in the previous Rosh Hashanah, then you'll hear the reading of the verdict. And I have a little Eitzah. If you would like to really change your davening, change your life, I have a very simple exercise. There are a few days left before Rosh Hashanah, but you can do it certainly before Yom Kippur as well. Take two index cards. On one index card, write down all of those strange things that happened during the year. Those events that were clearly, wow, it's a sham, it's a, it's, it's incredible. Write them down. All those things that happened, the good, the bad, and everything in between, write them down on one index card. And on the other index card, write down all the things that you're going to need, all the open questions in the coming year. And you bring both of those cards into shul with you. And you say to yourself, those events on this card, this event, this event, this that happened during this past year was decreed on the previous Rosh Hashanah. And then you have the other card. And you say to yourself, all of the issues on this card are being determined on this Rosh Hashanah. Then it's real. The din is palpable. The din is very real. Because you recognize every single event that happened to me in this past year was decreed on the past Rosh Hashanah, and now I recognize that was the reading of the verdict. I may not have heard it then, but I hear it during the course of the year, and now I concentrate on the fact that every one of these issues now that I need in the coming year is being weighed, measured, and decided as well. And when you do that, there's a sense of trepidation, a sense of awe, 
there's also a tremendous sense of the betochen, the trusting in Hashem's rachamim, and you reach out to your Creator and you say the words, Hashem, I get it. I do not control my destiny. I'm not in charge. You created the world. You run the world. You determine every outcome. Please help. But because of what? Because I'm a macher? Because I'm worthy? Because I'm a, no reason whatsoever because of rachamim. Hashem, I don't claim to be worthy. I don't claim to be worth it. I'm asking for one thing, rachamim, as a father has mercy on his son, please have rachmanus. And that tefillah is powerful. That tefillah is life-changing, changes the course of your coming year, and changes the essence of you. There are real obstacles to davening. The first obstacle is the fact that we don't need. We have it so good. And that is a tremendous bracha. In the course of history, never has mankind had it that good. And again, it's a tremendous bracha, but it does come with a cost. The cost is it's hard to recognize how needy we are. If you need to work on that, the Granat's answer is really quite simple. Just focus on the fact that every single issue is an open question. If I'm doing well financially, that's great. That means last Rosh Hashanah Shem decreed that this year I will have a good year. But that question is open. If this past year I've been healthy and well, that's great. That means last Rosh Hashanah Shem determined I'd have a year of health. But that question is open. And there are no guarantees. Because last year I was decreed success doesn't mean that that same decree will be this year. There are no chazakas, there are no guarantees. Every single issue of my life, my families, my communities, of mankind's existence is an open question and there are no guarantees. And if it's difficult to daven because we have so much, we have it so easy, you just have to focus on the fact that every one of those questions is being decided. And if it's difficult for you to feel that, look around. And look at the fact that people's lives change. Look about the fact that things happen. People who are young and well and healthy get sick. People who are young, well and healthy, sometimes die. People who have great, great shalom bias, things unravel. Great kids, things happen. And just look around and you see that everybody's got stuff. And when you recognize that every one of the issues of my life is now being decided, and there are no guarantees, you daven differently. And if the second reason why it's difficult to daven is because we don't hear the reading of the verdict, you can easily hear the reading of the verdict. Not of this Rosh Hashanah, but of last Rosh Hashanah. Because when you walk into shul on this Rosh Hashanah, you now have a complete year. You have a complete year of verdicts. You now have every single verdict of the previous Rosh Hashanah right in front of your eyes. Every event of my year, my successes, my failures, my pains, my sorrows, my joy, everything that occurred was written on the previous Rosh Hashanah. I have a whole year's worth of decrees, and I hear the verdict. I recognize it. And when I review my year, and I recognize that that verdict was written on the previous Rosh Hashanah, and then I recognize that that verdict for the coming year is being decided as well, suddenly there's a very different sense of davening. I think what the Gemara is sharing with us is a profound concept. A Jew should walk into Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur davening, inspired, joy-filled, where you can recognize, what you can touch, what you can access on Rosh Hashanah, on Yom Kippur is different than what you can get during the rest of the year. Every year I have the same experience. Somewhere around Cheshvan, I say to myself, idiot, why didn't I use the time? There was Elul, there was Rosh Hashanah, why didn't I just... 
It was so much easier then. And it is so much easier to daven. So much easier to experience Hashem's presence. And so much easier to contemplate thoughts. You want to grow in a moon, you want to grow in bitachon, you want to grow in anything. It's so much easier, but you just got to step forward. And with that understanding that you reach, there should be a tremendous joy, a palpable sense of, wow, look what I can understand, look what I can accomplish, I can experience Hashem, and there should be a desire, as the Malachim at to sing Hallel, to sing out with joy, jubilation, to sing praise to Hashem. But Hashem's answer is, while that may be true, it has to be held in check. The Amos Adin, the gravity of the day, the serious of the issues being determined has to hold that in temper. But both emotions should be there. Tremendous joy held in check with a sense of the awe of the day. But a Jew should be alive, awake with both emotions fully, fully there. A powerful, powerful experience. And I'd like to close with one last thought. I was a Rebbe in Rochester Yeshiva for 15 years. And our family, we would go back to visit my parents. Shalom, we used to live in Queens. And typically when the kids were little, we would leave about 5 o'clock at night because then the kids would sleep in the car instead of the tumult and the rambunctious baby. They would sleep and it was peaceful. And that was the basic plan. We would leave Queens about 5 o'clock and get to Rochester somewhere around midnight or so. In any case, one winter's day, we left about that time and it's already dark when we're leaving Queens. And typically what I would do is I'd strap my oldest daughter, Sarleya, into the strap into the car seat. And we used to play this game. I used to say, should I drive? Do you want to drive? Anyway, I strapped it in. We played the game. Who should drive? Okay, I get behind the wheel of the car. And we're driving. My wife's at my side. And we hit 81 North. Now, 81 North is a two-lane truck, trucker's highway. There's no shoulder to the road. And as I get onto that highway, sheets and sheets of white snow come down my visibility isn't. You can't see a thing. But here's the problem. There's no shoulder to the road. So I can't just pull off. So the only thing I could do is I tried to slow, gently brake, tried to gently slow the car down. And as I'm slowly braking, all of a sudden the car slips out and it slides into a spin. I do one revolution and I do a second revolution. As I'm coming around the second revolution, I see a tractor trailer coming. My car is going this way. 18-wheel is coming this way, and there's nothing I can do about it. Somehow we ended off off the highway in an embankment, the <clears throat> truck washed by, and I just lived through the most harrowing moment of my life. I look back, and my daughter is sound asleep in the car seat. I just lived through the most fearful moment, and she's sound asleep. The only thing that needed to happen at that moment was for her to wake up and say, Abba, I'll drive. But I'd like to share with you, that is a very apropos mushal. Many, many times I think of us as that three-year-old in the car seat. My entire future is being decided now. And what is my mind occupied with? Oh, my, I hope my wife made hopes. I hope the, the chicken's going to help. We're so busy. We're so distracted. We're like that three-year-old sound asleep in the car seat, living through the most harrowing moments of our life. Every decision of my coming year, everything is being weighed, decided, and I can influence it. And the only problem is I have to wake up. I have to open my eyes, recognize Hashem is here, recognize that Hashem waits in my tefillah, beg, beseech, implore, with tears in my eyes, say the words, Hashem, I do not control 
my destiny, you do, Hashem, please help. When you prepare for the day, and when you use the day, it becomes a powerful, powerful experience. You change the course of your year, you change your existence. May Hashem help us use it properly, and Hashem help us wake up. And now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. If you're shy, you can type the questions in. If you're bold and brave, you can raise your hand and ask the questions. And we do have one hand up already. Please feel free to either type the questions in, or again, you could raise your hand. And let's start with, uh, it says Leah over here, let's see who it is. But you have the floor. Hi, can you hear me? Hi, yes I can, hi. Um, okay, so I have two questions. The sure. first one is, so if everything is being decided globally for the Goyim also, how come they don't have Rosh Hashanah? Who said they don't have Rosh Hashanah? I mean, they're not aware of it. Oh, Like, we're yeah. aware of it. Well, you're right. Yeah. We're partly aware of it, but they're totally unaware of it. But they have the same Rosh Hashanah that we have. Hashem judges kol bo'e olam, every occupant of the planet. And there are plenty of goyim, by the way, who are aware. The Zion Mitzvah B'nai Noah, seven Mitzvah people. I have, a, I have what I call my guy friend, Wim, in Holland. He is a very devout, religious seven Mitzvah B'nai Noah. And believe me, he davens on Rosh Hashanah. And he recognizes what happens. You're right. Unfortunately, humanity is asleep. Unfortunately, we Jews as well are often not quite aware. But the reality is that every single human being has the same Rosh Hashanah. Now, we have a very different relationship to Hashem. As children to Hashem, we have far more entree, far more that we could ask for. And we're given a Torah with directives that teach us how to use the day properly. And mitzvahs that guide us. We have a shofar and we have an entire process of waking up. But every human being, and by the way, it's not just human being, every spiritual entity, malachim yachafezun, the malachim tremble. Why? Because as humankind's fate goes, so too does every other aspect, every other element of the creation. Everything is judged. So if you want to know, do Goyim have Rosh Hashanah? The answer is they sure do. Right, so we just have the advantage that we're... We're, we're more aware that we can pray. We... We're, we have two advantages. Hopefully more awake and aware and be a system to access, to use, to, to gain entree. Because we do have that relationship to Hashem as children to Hashem. Okay, thank you. I have one more question. Yes, next question. Um, so, so if this is the day where everything is being decided, it's a little bit like... It's a little bit kind of scary. So why don't aren't we supposed to be doing teshuva and be thinking, you know, I'll be better, and we're trying to utilize everything Hashem gave us better with this coming year. Like, what's what's the kavanah supposed to be besides for malchus Hashem? Okay, so that's a good question, and really the Bali, the Bali Musar asks the question really the following way. They say really the Jewish calendar is backwards. <clears throat> Wouldn't you imagine that first you should have Yom Kippur, give a person a chance to clean up, get rid of all their sins really do tshuva, and then 10 days later should be Rosh Hashanah. Once they're cleaned up, then judge them. <clears throat> Why are we doing it backwards? Why is Rosh Hashanah? First you judge the person, then you give him a chance to clean up. It should be first give him a chance to do tshuva, and then judge him. So the <clears throat> Bali Musa explained that the reason why Rosh Hashanah comes first is because you have to live through that moment of being judged. Only then does it become real. Only then can I wake up on some level, either acutely or maybe at least partially, and though I wake up to the severity, to the seriousness, 
And once I live through that judgment, then I'm motivated enough to really do tshuva. Now the din isn't sealed until Yom Kippur, so it still can be changed, but it's living through that judgment. On Rosh Hashanah, it's written, I experience it, whether I'm aware of it or not, my neshama certainly is, and I feel it, and that motivates me to then take life seriously, so that I can then do tshuva, and I can then really have eventually the chasima, this being sealed properly, hopefully in the book of life, and, and much, much success. So, so what's what, what should the kavana be? So, kavana on Rosh should be primarily one thing, exactly as it said, being Hashem, recognize Hashem as the King. But I want to tell you something that the Chavetz Chaim says. It's very nice to recognize Hashem as the King of the world, and you should think about the climate and the continents, and you should think about all the animals, and you should think about all the human beings, and what's happening in Taiwan, and what's happening in Tibet, and you should think about the entire world, and Hashem is the Melech, Hashem is running everything, and that's very important. But the ultimate goal is to be Mamlech Hashem over me, to recognize that Hashem is my boss, my judge, my king. You see, it's very easy globally, and it's wonderful to sit back and think about the fact that Hashem determines mankind's fate in totality and it's very awe-inspiring it's very heady and it's an important exercise but it's far more important to recognize that Hashem is the Melech over me my future, my existence, my well-being everything that affects me and that's much more real and for that reason we're allowed to make bakushas we're allowed to ask Hashem for things normally on Shabbos and Yantu we don't make material bakushas we don't ask for things financial or health or things like that Shabbos and Yontav enough of that. On Rosh Hashanah, we're allowed to ask for these things because that's part of the process of being Mam Lech Hashem. That's part of the process of really, really getting it. When I daven, when I beg, when I beseech, when I reach out to Hashem, I say, I need help, please help me. Then I begin to get it. Hashem really is in charge. Hashem really determines my outcome. Hashem really is my boss. And the job is to be Mam Lech Hashem, to recognize Hashem as the king over the world and the king over me. That's the Avodah on Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is different. Yom Kippur is slicha mechila, to do tshuva. But Rosh Hashanah is one thing, to get it. Hashem is the king. Hashem has dominion, rulership over everything. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Okay, let's take questions, if anyone has questions. Um, okay, Binyamin Pesa, we haven't heard you for a long time. Shalom Aleichem, what happened? The Navi Shir got canceled? No, we're back on Thursday, so I'm back. Oh, we're back on... No, why? The problem was Wednesday. When you switched to Wednesday, I don't Oh, okay, good. Because the, the Gemara shear is Sunday to Wednesday, so... Got it, got it. Anyway, got it. so, so what, what you're describing seems to be the, the balance, I guess they call it Gila Birada, I think is the, what it's dis- described as. Um, right? Isn't that the, the general... That's the Pasuk. The Pasuk refers to Gilu Birada. Feel tremendous joy in your trepidation. Both irrigation should be there. Gilu. And the Gila, the Gila part, I think we have we have a some connection to. We obviously aren't necessarily doing with it all the right kavanas, etc. I think the other part is the part that we have a problem with. But I think part of the problem also is, as Rashid used to say, that we're all made of tissue paper. So, like, how do we let that in without overwhelming ourselves at the same time? I mean, how do we let in enough to to be overwhelmed enough to focus, but not overwhelmed enough that we 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 throw in the towel. Uh, anyone ever hear of something called Corona? Corona. That's familiar. Oh, oh, say no more. 
I am a very healthy, strong person, young and well. And believe me, when they took me in that Hatsala wagon to the hospital, when I couldn't breathe and my oxygen was going under and lower and lower, the big, powerful, mighty me, it wasn't pretty. You think about things, you think about life, in other words, meaning tissue paper, no tissue paper, you got to get real and you got to wake up. Things happen, <coughs> events occur. Look at people, look at families, you know, look at things that happen, and oh my, every one of those issues are being weighed, measured, and decided, everything in my life. You want to talk about Radha, all you got to realize is that it's real. Life is real, life is serious, things happen, and every one of those decisions is an open question there are no guarantees. It is mighty, mighty grave, mighty serious. Now, it's also beautiful because Hashem is in charge and is absolute justice and is a melech and the king who determines everything and the king has tremendous rachamim, more than I can ever imagine or envision, but both feelings have to be there. Tremendous rod of... Focus, focusing on our mortality to um, some extent? Our mortality, on the fact that things change, that every issue... You just look around what has happened in the past year. By the way, just... Do a year in review. Every year, I don't know why they don't do it. The one thing the, the news media could do effectively is the year in review. They used to do it. They used to have the 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 Time magazine used to have the year in review issue. So someone, someone, comes, someone comes out every year with a YouTube about me, Yechiri, almost. They put together all the events of the last year. Watch it. Watch it. Watch for it. Because that's what you got to do. Just focus on what... By the way, this year, Hashem Mirachem, Meiron, look at Meiron, look at the events that happened in Eretz Yisrael and Klai I mean, come on. Do you know what happened this year alone? <clears throat> Just go back over the headlines of the events that happened to our people, to, our, <clears throat> to us, our communities. Just review a little bit. And you'll see the amount of Rahman al tortures and murders and, th- and terrible things. And by the way, if you're not, if you're not really sure that things happening... And study the uh, study the events of recent time. Black Lives Matters, and suddenly all of a sudden, transgender becomes the ABCQDQ. Like just the, the the things that have unraveled. We used to have a president, and now we have whatever. Whatever. I'm not getting there. But <laughs> they used. To, I mean, just look at what's gone on in the past. Every one of those decisions was made on the previous Rosh Hashanah. Oh my goodness! You know what's being decided now? You know who's who's the president now? I don't know. We're going to find out who's going to be president this coming year, and what that president's going to do and not do. Are we going to be in Afghanistan? Not Afghanistan? Are we going to leave behind just a few U.S. citizens? Just a few, fifteen hundred? No, only two hundred. We're going to leave them behind. Leave, leave them. Give a hear anything like this? It's absurd. How could this? How could it happen? How could you leave? Use use the last year as a, as a reflection point to, on what could be for the next year. What's going to right? Exactly. Exactly. I had, a, I had a practical question also. I mean, Baruch Hashem, we got way the last month. I was able to m- mostly finish the pre-publication copy. Okay, good. And uh, so when is the, when is the, the, the final okay. the, copy coming out? I have today. I was, is, it too late? is it too late to send, send any uh, horrors or anything like that? Uh, you could. I'm Actually, today I'm, I was working on the final typeset copy. I'm supposed to send the final copies to print on Sunday morning. It's being printed in Bulgaria, of all places, because whatever China can't work now because it takes. So, bottom line is there. There's still there's still time. The ten really dumb mistakes. The very smart couples making Mitzvah Shem is going to be in stores. Uh, Mitzvah Shem Hanukkah time is going to be out there. Uh, it's going to be the, watch a Mishpacha magazine coming the Sukkot edition. They're going to be running ten weeks of the ten really dumb mistakes. Very nice. They're very. Uh, they're giving it very good coverage. Uh, to the book. Well, it's not really. It's written articles written. 
Uh, it's going to be ten weeks of each week. Another of the really dumb mistakes. It's an article written for mishpacha. It's not an excerpt from the book, but it's but it's the mistakes that I had to you know I commented on. Um, and so in the, starting with the Sukkot edition, it's going to be out there. But again, the big news is uh, Hanukkah time. It's Shem. It's going to be in the stores. Uh, and the Mitzvah Shem Sunday, I'm sending a final typeset version to print. Mitzvah Shem. Email Rebbe at the Shmuz. Yeah, please do, please do. Yeah. It's a phenomenal. I have to say this. I, I gained so much from it. It's a phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal book. I've read your other books, other books also, and this one is uh, they're they're amazing also. But this one is amazing. Thank you. You can still get the pre-publication copies on Amazon on Shmuz.com if you want. But don't actually, you can wait already because now we're going to have the. When, they, when are you expecting them to come out? Uh, I should have. I I think we should have some copies within within a month for sure. Mm-hmm. A month for sure, maybe even sooner. <coughs> it's a shame. Hopefully, hopefully. I think there's a lot of useful tools in there for people to use lamasas <coughs> for helping marriage. It's All right. tremendous. It's a shame. We got to get out there. Okay, nice to speak. Much asacha. Good givenchior. Keep in touch. Givenchior. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, if we have a question, please feel free to raise your hand. Dina, I have a question. You have the floor. Thank you. So, when you have, uh, do teshuva and daven during the year, can that not overturn any judgments made on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur? Okay, that's a very good question. In fact, let me pose it in a more uh, pointed way. Why daven during the rest of the year? Right? If everything is determined on Rosh Hashanah, why Davin in uh, Kislev in, uh, in Nisan? Who cares? It was all decided, all determined. Why should I Davin? Right? So, right. Right. Okay. Is it practice mm-hmm. so that you get it pra- good? Practice. That'd be, that wouldn't be a bad idea. It's actually it's a little bit different than that. <clears throat> so the way it works is as follows. <clears throat> Let's imagine it's Rosh Hashanah. <clears throat> and I'm sitting there davening, my talus over my head, I'm shuckling away, and I hear a bas call, a heavenly voice says, Shave! Oh, yeah, what? I was sent from Hashem. What, what, what? I was sent to tell you this year you'll earn $10 million. Whoa, ecstatic. I'm happy as a lark. I just heard the verdict of Bonanza year, $10 million this year. I walk out of shul happy as a lark, quit my day job, don't do anything that year. I know the decree. I know exactly what's going to happen. What do you think is going to happen this year? I'd like to share with you that most likely I'll go hungry. Because when Hashem decrees that I am to make $10 million, and that's assuming a proviso, provided I do my part. My part is to do my shtadlis, to use the world in the ways of the world. And earn a living, you get a job. When it's time to get married, you go out there and find a shidduch. And to stay healthy, you eat right, you exercise. If you decide, I'm not getting married, I'm going to eat whatever I want, I'm, gonna, I'm not working for a living, then all bets are off. Because when Hashem decrees what's going to be, Hashem doesn't decree what's going to be, Hashem decrees what's appropriate, what's proper, and now your job is to use the world in the ways of the world, do your shtadlis, and once you do your shtadlis, then exactly what Hashem determined is going to be. But if I decide I'm not working, I'm not going to go out, I'm not going to worry about my health, then all bets are off, because Hashem doesn't shackle a person to any decree, and that decree is what's right, what's proper, but you got to do your part. Now, part of your job when earning a living is to get a job. Part of your job when, going, when you're looking for a shidduch is to go out. And the biggest part of your shtadlis as a Jew is to daven. And if you don't daven in Cheshvan and Klitsiv and Nisan, you're not doing your part. So it's like Hashem says, I'm waiting to give you it. I'm wa- just do your part. <clears throat> just go get a job. Just go out. Just do what you're supposed to do. But if you don't daven, you're not doing your part, because that's the largest part of your shtadlis. And many, many times, the Rishonim tells many times, Hashem will wait. 
and wait for us to ask just so that we'll recognize who butters our bread. Hashem waits for us to ask just so that when Hashem grants it, we'll finally wake up and realize Hashem really, really is in charge. And many times if I don't ask, Hashem will not give it because I'll be training myself in kfir, in not recognize Hashem as a melech. So, okay, davening, so I would say more the question the other way, not why bother davening during the year. I would say more, if I'm davening and, and doing teshuva all year and reflecting all year round, like what's the difference if it's on Rosh Hashanah? Like I'm affecting it all year round. You're right, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And halavai it would happen. If you can really reach that pure understanding and recognize that during the rest of the year, that'd be great. The problem is it's very, very difficult during the course of the year. There's a difference, there's a season of the soul from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. It's much easier to recognize things, to think, to recognize Hashem's presence. It's just much easier to do tshuva. Tshuva is good all year round. Tefillah is good all year round. Again, the decree is Rosh Hashanah. And during this season, Hashem makes it much easier for us to do tshuva, much easier for us to recognize things, and therefore it's a lot wiser to put, you know, put it into overdrive during this time period because and this is really the decree and it's easier to understand things. But you're right, if you can reach that understanding and during the course of the year, great, do it and go for it. But again, it's much easier now and this is the actual time of determinant, so you're much better off doing it now and using the, the extra push from behind during the season. Thank you. Okay, my pleasure. Okay, good, <laughs> good, okay. Let me just disable talking. We have a few questions that were written in. Um, okay. Um, okay, this is a question. Rebbe said in previous moves, WYSIWYG, that we are, what you see is what you get, that we are going to be the same when we die, same desires, etc. But two shmoos live ago, Rebbe said if we work to create a shadow man... It, which is it? Okay, so let me explain to you what is going on. And what is going on is a moment of great clarity that Hashem granted me so to save me from my desperation. For many, many years, I focused on what the Masil Sharm says to us, and that is that when I die, my body's put in the ground, I separate, and I am exactly what I shape myself into. And as a matter of fact, there is a Shmuz number 45, what you see is what you get, where I focused on some things that are rather unusual, that a person who lives with desire and puts desire into himself for eternity has those same desires, has the same desire even when he no longer has a body. And uncle is, his his uh, Titus was his uncle, and he spoke to his uncle after Titus was dead, and Titus still was filled with rage against the Jews. I wouldn't mean rage against the Jews, you see Hashem there. So the way it works is, any media that you put into the essence of you becomes a part of you, and that's who you are forever. Now, I reached a certain age, maybe a number of years ago, and I said to myself, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. You see, when I was younger, I started in Yeshiva, Gedola, you know, based at, let's say, 19, and I had tremendous dreams. I'm going to work on Bitochen and Amuna and Davening and and Iyun and Anova. I'm going to... And I set my goals... And I worked very diligently, and I really worked, and I worked on sometimes on humility, sometimes on tzedakah, sometimes on chesed. And over the years, I worked, I worked, I worked, and I found myself at a certain age, not long ago, when I said, uh-oh, I've been at this game for a good long time, and I ain't there. I've been at this game for decades now. I hate to admit this publicly, I am 60 years old. I've been doing this for over 40 years. 
and I'm nowhere near, anywhere near com- complete. What does that mean? It's not that much time I got left. I hope, Mitzvah 20 years, I, I don't really know, but <clears throat> it sure ain't a lot of time. And if I look at the past 40 years, the progress is not that great that I can exactly have great high hopes. And I said to myself, I am in big trouble. Then Hashem allowed me to find the Derech Hashem explains a profound concept. And this is a concept that I mentioned two weeks ago. And that is that right now, I am incapable of perfection. The body prevents me. Meaning, even let's say I work really, really hard on anger. I work on humility. And by the way, I've done this. You go to the shmooz.com, you'll see many shmoozim on humility, many series on it, and it all comes from real work, hours and hours, months and months, and I can tell you I harvested on it. Did I gain a little bit? A little bit. But here's what the, the Derech Hashem explains to us. It is impossible for you to perfect yourself here. Your body prevents it. But any work that you do creates the shadow man. So let's say I'm working on anger or humility or chesed. So I work on it, I work on it. The work that I put in creates the shadow man who is more humble, less angry, bigger bal chesed. Now I may have changed very little because the body prevents me and the body stops me from growing, but the shadow man grows and as I work more and more, it grows bigger and bigger. And a person might be a small human being, but a shadow might be huge. When I leave this body, whoosh, I fill in that shadow exactly what I should have been, but I was held back because of my goof, because of my body, now my body's in the grave, and now I'm able to fill in that shadow man and be exactly who I am. But you see, that's if I worked on my midos, if I worked on Amuna, if I worked on mitachon, but what held me back was my body, then I created that shadow man, and whoosh, I fill it in. But let's say I didn't work on Taiva. Let's say I just said, whatever, I'm going to look where I want to look, I want to do what I want to do, I'm not giving, I'm just giving in. <laughs> There's no shadow man. Then I am what I am. And when my body dies, I whizzy wig. What you see is what you get. I'm exactly what I shape myself into. <clears throat> the Chiddush Yadarech Hashem explains to us is <clears throat> that if you really work on things, you might still have Taiva, you might still have Gaiva, but that's just because the body stopped you from perfecting yourself. But you created that shadow man that's far greater. And therefore, once your body is put in the grave, whoosh, you fill in that shadow man, and then you're a hugely humble, kindly, other-centered person without taiva, without gaiva, whatever it might have been. But again, the assumption is that you worked on it. <clears throat> WYSIWYG, Shmuz number 45, Titus didn't work on it at all. Quite the opposite. And about taiva, a person just gives in to every desire and doesn't work on it. That is who he's going to be forever. If a person fights the fight, he may be losing 50% of the time, maybe lose 70% of the time, but he's battling, he's battling, and he's creating that shadow. Right now he's nobody, but that shadow man is great, and his body's put in the ground, he fills in that shadow. So which is true? The answer is both are true. If you don't work on yourself, you're toast. You're going to be forever what you shaped yourself into. If you work on yourself, and you really, really work, and the only thing that's holding you back is your body, the Nefesh Bahami, and then when you leave this earth, you're able to fully fill in that full full size. Does that hopefully that answers the question? And it's very important because, um, um, okay, here's a good question: Isn't all this just another version of self-help lesson? Uh, one second, you said that as a pejorative, as if like self-help is a bad thing. Like, isn't this just self-help? Oh, yeah, it's a bad thing called self-help. Self-help, Hashem <laughs> Yirachim. And do you understand that the Torah 
is the ultimate system for spiritual self-perfection. That's what the Torah is. That's what mitzvahs do. That's what Limana Musr is about. That's what the, the mitzvahs are perfecting the human being. Because psychology and pipe psychology, pop psychology recently discovered something called self-help. So that becomes like a pejorative. That's phenomenal. Self-help is what the, <laughs> it's exactly what, that's what we're here for. Hashem created us imperfect, <clears throat> gave us mitzvahs, gave us challenges to grow, to accomplish, to perfect the essence of I. Self-help is exactly it. Growth, accomplishment, changing me. And that's what all the mitzvahs are about. That's what the Torah is about. So yes, isn't this just a form of self-help? Yeah. Is, well, Rabbi, all you're talking about is growing and changing and becoming better. That's it. That's, that's, that's right. So, okay, I don't know if that answers the question, but... Um, Okay, um, Ooh, if every Rosh Hashanah is a clean slate and we start anew, how do we reconcile that with the fact that Hashem gives us merits based on our past actions? So let me let you in on a little secret. Every Rosh Hashanah is not a clean slate. And unfortunately, I wish it were true, but every Yom Kippur we don't start anew. Let me explain to you a very simple observation. Let's assume it's Yom Kippur. And I get super motivated and super driven. And I say to myself, that's it. I will not smoke another cigarette again. Assuming that I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, and assuming I've been doing that for the past 20 years, 40 years, and on Yom Kippur I make up, that's it. I absolutely, completely resolve, I will never smoke another cigarette again. Complete tshuva. Beautiful. Now, number one, the minute Yom Kippur is over, Am I going to desire to smoke? Answer is, oh yeah, I will. You see, tshuva is very easy. But the habits, the nature that we created is very, very difficult to change. Tshuva is easy. Change isn't. And I may resolve on Yom Kippur to stop smoking or to lose weight or whatever, hopefully more meaningful things as well. But that resolve means maybe I got rid of some of the damage, some of the chetoyim, some of the things that I did wrong, I could be forgiven for. But that which I did to me, the essence of me, the habits, the desire, the selfishness, that doesn't change. Okay, I cleaned the slate up, but there's still... I'll give you a very simple muscle that I think well defines it. You know, imagine the following. Imagine a 22-year-old kid is brought into the, into the court and he's brought in driving under intoxication and the lawyer stands up and says, Your Honor, he's a fine young man, comes from a fine home, he's in school, he's working towards his career, he had a moment, a lapse of judgment, and we beg the court to have mercy and to forgive him. Assuming the kid does have a good record and assuming that either the kid or the lawyer is convincing, the judge may say, Yes, it's struck from the record, <clears throat> he will not have any jail time, <clears throat> will not have any off offense, and will be off the record. Very nice. Okay, that's case one. <clears throat> case number two, the same kid was driving drunk, but he happened to have plowed into a telephone pole and severed his spine. He may stand in front of the judge, and the judge may say, the court has mercy and forgives you, and there is no criminal offense, <clears throat> and we're going to strike it from the record, but the kid is still paralyzed. You see, the damage that we do during the year still is there. Tshuva is great, so Hashem will strike it from the record. Hashem won't punish me. But that which I made myself into is still there. 
the habits that I have, the tendencies, that is not so easy. So tshuva, getting rid of the sin in the sense of the punishment, in the sense of Hashem punishing me for the act, is simple, I won't say simple enough, but it's possible to get rid of, but the essence of me hasn't changed. The only way I can change is by making very real concrete Kabbalahs, real acceptance of changes, working on things and slowly, slowly making very concrete, real changes. I don't give up cigarette smoking based on Yom Kippur. I don't lose weight based on Yom Kippur. And I don't change the essence of my habits and my behaviors on Yom Kippur. What I can do on Yom Kippur is, number one, get rid of many, many Averas. I get rid of lots of things that will impede me. And I can make acceptance. I can change direction. I can make decisions to work on things. I can change the way I'm going to approach things. And then I could slowly, slowly do the difficult work of really changing the essence of me. So in answer to clean slate and anew, in a sense it's clean, in a sense it could be, if I really did a tshuva, which is not so simple, by the way. I don't know that many people who really review their whole year and say, I can't believe I did, and tearing, wailing, wailing, hour after, you know. And for most of us, Halavai, we wake up to a few things we did wrong, and we appreciate a 10% of how bad it was. But again, even assuming a person really, really woke up and really used Yom Kippur well, it got rid of the sin, but doesn't change the essence of me. The real growth on Yom Kippur is the ability to see things that I've been doing wrong and now make decisions, concrete plans, how to change. And that then takes the whole year of work to then put it into action. Um, Okay. Uh, It always bothered me why you say Salachlan Omar right after Yom Kippur, spending a whole day in the essence of Salachlan. Excellent. I asked that question to my Rebbe, the Roshiva Zatzal, one, I think it was a Motzei Yom Kippur. I asked them that question. Would you like to know the answer to that question? (laughs) <laughs> there are really two answers. The Shiva Zatzal was such a tzaddik, he said to me, that's a good question. But and that wasn't the answer. And the answer really is twofold. Number one, if we understood the potential of a human being, if we understood what a human being could accomplish in a moment, in a second, <clears throat> we'd recognize that from the end of Yom Kippur till Marav, there's what to ask Lachlano for. But I'll tell you a much better answer, an answer that's a lot easier to understand. If I ever got it, if I recognize one core cognition, my time will end. There will come a time when my body will be in a box, and I, not my distant cousin, not my alter ego, not my, my neshama, me, I will stand in front of Hashem. And Hashem will review every action of my life, every thought, every conversation, every word, and Hashem will demand of me, why didn't you become that great human being you could have been? And I will have to answer to that if I could ever wake up to that single recognition and that there's a day called Yom Kippur where I can clean the slate, I can get rid of weeks and months of stuff and really change. I would use Yom Kippur with tears in my eyes. I'd be, inc- I'd be on fire. I wouldn't sleep for 25 hours. So if you want to know why we say Salah Lano on Yom Kippur when we cleaned up everything, with all due respect, unless your name is the Chabetz Chaim, the Chsam Sofer, Vigveger maybe, you didn't clean up everything. I can't say that I know of a human being alive today who really cleaned up every... Wow, went through your whole year, 
Every single time you speak Lashon Hara, every time you made a bracha without kavana, every time you slept through, whatever, whatever. come on, a whole year, and you really did tshuva on everything, and there's nothing left? If you really think that way, then I dare say, you don't have a clue to what a human being can accomplish. You don't have a clue to what Hashem gave you as this opportunity called life. You don't recognize how much you could do, how much you could accomplish, because if you did, you'd recognize that even if you're doing great, if you're hitting 85%, there's a lot more that you can do. And even if you did a perfect tshuva on Yom Kippur, I guarantee there are many things that you didn't really get rid of. So don't worry about having what to ask Lachlan for. I believe there's plenty left. Okay, I think we went a little over time. I want to thank everyone for joining. And uh, Edward, I apologize, I didn't get to answer. Send me an email, please, with a question. I apologize, but we'll have to get to it next time. Please um, join us next week. Two things I want to announce. Number one, next week there'll be a Shmuz uh, live. In addition to which, the Tshuva Shmuz will be Hashem, Sunday evening, August uh, August 12th, I think it is. Is that right? i got to check that. I believe it's August 12th. Sunday evening, August 12th, will be the Tshuva Shmuz. Look for the email, look for the WhatsApp notices. I believe that's the correct date. I'm just going to check that now as I speak. Um, yes, yeah, Sunday, September 12th will be... So next Thursday there will be a Tshuva There'll be a regular Shmuz live. And the twelfth, there'll be the uh, the tshuva <coughs> shmuz. Also on the site, please feel free to access. If you have on the site, we have a number of series. We have the uh, tshuva boot camp, as well as the sefer yona. There's a fourth part series on sefer yona, <coughs> as well as quite a number of shmuzim on tshuva. You could access that on the shmuz.com or at the shmuz podcast or the shmuz app. Also, if you're not receiving the WhatsApp group three times a week. We send out these short, very inspirational videos. If you'd like to join, you can go to theshmooze.com and click on to join, or you can send a please subscribe to 845-216-9330. 845-216-9330. Just say please subscribe, and we'll put you on the Schmooze Chizik WhatsApp group, and you'll get these inspirational videos two, three times a week. I thank you very much. Good Shabbos. I wish you much, much atzlacha.